today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I don't know if you were aware of this, but today, uh, April 15th, ring a bell? Anything? Thursday, April 15th marks the 109th year of the sinking of the Titanic. April 15th, 1912. Obviously a strong link to Hamilton, and one of them is Mr. Lowe. <laughs> Uh, Michael Loshaibo uh, is with us, also known as Mr. Lowe, retired history teacher, would help us out with the Remembrance Day uh, ceremony, The Odd Time, and is with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Excellent, Scott. Just living the dream. And, and how's retirement treating you? Very well, thank you. Enjoying it. Uh, a bit, a bit, a bit bitter, bittersweet with the pandemic, but uh, yeah. I'm an optimist, and it's uh, one day as it goes and full speed ahead. All right, well, at least you're getting lots of rest at this time in your retirement, as opposed to gallivanting around and traveling. Who wants to do that? You need your rest first. That's true. All right, so important day. How You used to teach this in your class. Is that accurate? I taught this uh, with my grade sevens and eights. We always spoke about the loss of the Titanic, the Hamilton Connection. Um, I also linked it to a novel called Futility by Morgan Robinson, published in 1898. And uh, the similarities are eerie between the book he wrote and the actual disaster. I think this is what has in- uh, intrigued me uh, w- with you as a teacher, Mr. Lowe, if I can be yeah, so, fine. Uh, is that you seem to take what's happening in the world and then apply it to your uh, to your lessons, whether oh, yeah. it's a COVID, whether it's this or that or whatever, which I think is fascinating because that's, you know, it's not about spreading the information so much as it is relating it to them and, and helping them understand it. That's correct. I had a great run, 35 years, grade sevens and eights. Enjoyed, enjoyed every year. So uh, why does this anniversary, why does this uh, event still attract so much attention? One of the most uh, researched shipwrecks of the 20th century, even 21st century, it's a classic case of whatever could go wrong that night went wrong. Mm. This was supposed to be an unsinkable ship. Um, unsinkable, although the White Star Line never really said it was unsinkable. It'd be very hard for it to sink. There weren't enough lifeboats on board, although the White Star said we had four more than the required 16. They had 20 on board. Still not enough, you know. Uh, and talk about the construction, because apparently the hull of this boat was was constructed in sections. So if one tore out, yeah. it would be separate from the diff from the others. But then I understand they were open at the top, yeah. which would allow the water to flow over into the next stall. It was uh, that's why they brought back the steamship Olympic, which was first. There were three sisters. Olympic came first, Titanic came second, and the Britannic came third. Now after mm-hmm. the disaster. The Olympic was brought back to have modifications made on it, and the Britannic, which was just being built, had further modifications to make it more safe. Interestingly enough, of all the three sisters, only the Olympic would ever see New York City. So the ship was designed that, Scott, any two compartments could be flooded, and the ship would still float. If the first three compartments flooded, it could still float. Even if the first four compartments would flooded, it could float. But when you had that iceberg damage, and it wasn't a gash, it was yeah. a series of dents along the hull that broke the rivets and seams and let the water come in, and the pumps couldn't keep up. So the ship sank lower and lower in the water. The bulkheads only went as high as E-deck because they didn't want to encroach on first class. So if you can picture your ice cube tray... 
as you sink lower, the water would fill to the next one, to the next yeah. one, and to the next one. That's a great analogy. That's right. uh, so talk about the local connection here. Dr. Alfred Payne, he was a Hamilton resident, born in Hamilton, educated at the uh, Toronto University Medical School. So in September 1911, he decides to go to King's College Hospital in London to further his studies. He does that. Comes March 1912, it's time to go home. So at first he decides, maybe I can earn my way by booking on as a doctor on one of the freighters going across the Atlantic. He tried, he tried, it didn't work out. So then he signs up as second-class passenger on the Titanic. So he goes through the, he goes through the, you know, the procedure there. He meets a young girl named Marion White. She's on her way to New York City to meet her fiancé, and he takes care of her, no problem. On that fateful night, they meet up on the deck. He escorts her to a lifeboat. She survives. He perishes. Body never found. Parents are buried in the uh, Hamilton Cemetery, Section W. Um, both mom and dad, dad passed away in 29, mom in 51, but there's a plaque on the marker saying, in memory of our son, Dr. Alfred Payne, who died on the Titanic, April 14, 15, 1912. Ooh, everyone has shivers up their spine right oh, yeah. now, Mr. Lowe. Oh, yeah. um, what do we know from that person who he befriended on the ship? That she, she wrote a letter to Dr. Payne's parents, and she thanked them or thanked for her, what the son did for her that night. Oh, my. Yep. You see? And it's, it's a classic disaster. Whatever, like, that night, whatever could go wrong did go wrong. The day before, Scott, the wireless, the radio broke down. And both Bride and Phillips, the radio operators, spent the whole day Saturday fixing it. But at that time, people were so amazed with the wireless radio, they wanted to send messages to their loved ones back at home. So the White Star would charge a price to send a radiogram back home. So they were overwhelmed with personal traffic that they, when the iceberg warnings came in, not all made it to the bridge. Oh, my. Okay. And that, you know, and when Murdoch was on board the bridge, had he had the set of the iceberg 15 seconds sooner or later, the story is now what the major people believe they should have hit it straight on rather than going to the side. Had they hit it straight on, yeah. the ship would probably have survived. Also, wow. there, there was a ship called the Californian not too far away, and this is a lot of controversy, mm -hmm. too. Its radio operator shut down at 11.30 p.m., and at that time, the thinking was when you're employed, most people, Victorian era, if you worked at a job, you did no more, no less. So he shut down his wireless at 11.30. The Titanic strikes the berg at 11.40 p.m., April 14th. And his ship, the California, stopped there because of ice. Its captain, Stanley Lord, turns in for the night, and the officers see these rockets, white distress rockets. Yeah. And they did nothing. And when the ship yeah. came back to Boston, questions began to be asked. Did you do anything? Maybe you should have woken up the radio operator. Had they done that, the story could have had a whole different ending. 
Wow, that is incredible. What are your thoughts are? I remember when they discovered this way back when. I remember watching the old Johnny Carson show yeah. and and they were Dr. showing Robert shots Keller, of yeah. the yeah, they were showing shots of of under of under the water and the what the submarine was showing us and such. And the big debate was bringing it up. Should we bring it up? You should leave it there, blah blah blah. And now of course it's disintegrating. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's a grave. It, it's it's a grave site for 1500 people, right? And there have been many um excursions down there. I think one was done not too long ago to see the condition of the ship and is disintegrating. Yeah. Interestingly enough, a number of years ago, there was a Russian company working out of Halifax, and for July and August, if you paid umpteen thousands of dollars, they would send you down in the submersible to get married on the deck of the Titanic. Oh, my. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. But the ship is cursed. Sadly, Dr. Ballard, his, one of his sons was on board the exploration, and, you know, was working with his father to find the Titanic. His son, later on, after he discovered it, died in a car accident. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what a fa- And it continues to be a fascinating story. To this, it, it, to this it, day, because it's like the theme of hubris, so you'll use my poetry, whatever went wrong that night, if, yeah. like, if the bulkheads were one deck higher, if they had seen the iceberg 15 seconds sooner, 15 seconds later, the massive loss of life would not have happened if there were enough lifeboats, if the California came to the rescue. All factors that create uh, the event, the legend that we uh, now know as the sinking of the Titanic. Uh, 109 years ago, April 15th, 1912. Yeah, the best movie Uh, to see is a 1958 version by uh, Made to Remember. That's the best I remember that. I remember seeing that as a kid. Yep. That's the best yeah. one because many of the survivors and officers were still alive. Like you know, I do very, very vividly remember watching that at yeah. night with my mother. That's and, a, uh, odd. You you bring that up, and I'll be quick. But the the, the new the new one they made up with uh, Steven Spielberg. There, uh, Jack was the guy was like that, but Molly Brown, the insinkable Molly Brown. That's the one who gave him the suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. fascinating. Go. Michael, uh, again, as always, thank you so much for the time, and uh, love to bring you in here anytime you've got uh, a great idea such as this, so please feel free. Uh, Michael Lashibo is with us, retired history teacher, uh, talking about the anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, April fifteenth, 1912. Michael, thanks for the time. And Be well. Thank, and thank you very much. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Hamilton's Commonwealth Games Committee abandons any bid for the 2026 Games and looks to 2030, which is the actual anniversary, 100th anniversary of the Games, uh, instead. Uh, it's tough to follow this bouncing ball, so let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist with the Hamilton Spectator, and with us now. Thank you, Scott. hope you're doing well. I like that bouncing ball idea. If it wasn't radio, we could do a little video with the bouncing ball and all the, you know, the stuff, like, you know, with the song. That would be cool. I remember when all this was transpiring way back when I was trying to follow it and I could not understand why they were even moving it because the attraction here is the 100th anniversary. But where are we now? Can you give us some sort of clarity here? Okay, so in 30 seconds, here's the chronology of this. 1930 was the British Empire Games. That was the start of what became the Commonwealth Games. That was in Hamilton. That was at Iverwind Stadium or what became Iverwind Stadium. So the plan was we're going to have the 2030 Games, which was the 100th anniversary, if we were interested. But then the Commonwealth Games people said, well, wait, we don't have anyone right now for 2026. We don't have a host. So, Hamilton, if you are willing to go for 2026, you'll get the Games for sure. You won't have competition. But then 
first of all, COVID comes along, but second, the World Cup of Soccer, the, like the biggest sports event in the world, mm-hmm. is going to be in Canada and the States in 2026. So the various levels of government said, we can't have two events like this at the same time, but not only costing us a fortune, but cannibalizing each other. So how about you do 2027, which is not actually a Commonwealth Games year. Yeah, yeah. And the Commonwealth Games people then said, no thanks, we'll look elsewhere. So now Hamilton has said, all right, back to 2030. And so now it seems, it seems, and there's no guarantees, but it seems we're going to be now bidding for a 2030 Commonwealth Games which, you know, this is, Scott, this is such an interesting discussion point around the city because I had P.J. Mercanti on the show, who's the head of the Hamilton 100 committee last night. Yeah. And I said to him, I haven't sensed a whole lot of excitement or enthusiasm for this bid idea around the city. I just haven't. And he says, well, you know, there's, as we get closer and as we, you know, uh, lay the stuff out, and as we now, are you referring, the- Scott? Were you referring, Scott, to the 2026 bid or to the 2030? No, e- either one. Just the idea yeah. of the Commonwealth right. Games in general, and um, you know, it, it, you're as you said in the intro, it, it's been difficult because it's been such a moving target, and so you know, when they pulled back and started going for 2026, and as I say, we're in COVID and money and all the rest, they really scaled back what they were planning to do. But in 2026, when they went to City Hall, the committee pitched this as a real economic stimulus for the city to come out of COVID as, you know, we're trying to get back on our feet. Here's an opportunity. It's going to be a lot smaller, but here's for affordable housing and for infrastructure upgrades and all the rest. Well, last night, PJ Mercanti said, oh, no, in 2030, it will be back to being bigger, but it'll still be those things, housing, affordable housing, which is a crisis in the city and facilities and all the rest of this stuff. So, you know, I think that they have a challenge because of what I said. I think they have a challenge to win over city council because I just, at this point, I just don't, maybe you do, but I just don't sense that wild enthusiasm for an idea like this right now. Is it the city they have to win over or the people who are deciding who gets the 2030 games? What's the competition like there? Why are we not competing? Why did we not compete for the 2030 right in the beginning? And I know there was nobody for the 2026, but who cares? That's their problem, not ours. We want this because it's the 100th anniversary. That's the novelty of this. So uh, who's competing for 2030? Is this going to be, how difficult will this be? This is one of the amazing things about this. There's so many parts of this story that we don't know. We don't know for sure who's going to be competing with us for that. We were competing for 2030, but then again, they needed somebody for 2026. So it's a bird in the hand kind of idea that you'll get it if you go for 2026. Isn't that so um, typical Hamilton, though? You know, take the, le- the the route of least resistance. Let's just get what we can. Well, yes. Um, but at the same time, there's no guarantee we get 2030. Now, there will be some people listening, I guarantee, saying, great, we don't want it. We don't want the money. We don't want the city taxes. We don't." And there's other people saying, no, we, we do. We need new facilities, and we need this housing and everything. So you, you ask the question, who do they have to win over? They do have to win over city council because there will be some municipal money. They can pitch the idea that all of the infrastructure and everything would be covered, but you have security costs and you have other things. There will be some cost to the city. And if you're going to win over city council, well, these people are, you know, listening to their constituents. So you've got to kind of win over 
the people in the city as well to tell their counselors that they're behind this. You know, counselors don't want to vote for something they know is going to be. Yeah, but aren't we aren't we putting the cart before the horse here? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you have to see what your what your options are and what your chances are of winning twenty thirty. I mean, if they're good, you go after it. If you're going to get slaughtered, why bother? As was the case when we went for 2010 that went to uh, New Delhi that turned out to be a giant disaster in New Delhi, the Commonwealth Games. And so, and there's one other wrinkle in this. And you're right about that. I mean, you don't want to go into this if you don't have a pretty good chance. And, and if the Commonwealth Games people sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, haven't said to you, yeah, there's a good opportunity here. One other wrinkle to throw into this thing. Back when we bid for 2010, when we were going against New Delhi, we lost that one. And part of the reason. Some people say, a lot of people say, part of the reason we lost that is because you remember that 2010 was also the year of the Vancouver Olympics. And so the voting for Commonwealth Games for the host city came after the IOC voted to give Vancouver the Olympics. And people say, well, the Commonwealth Games was not going to give, Canada was not going to win two major multi-sport games in the same year. Well, guess what? Vancouver is now talking about going to the Winter Olympics in 2030 and bringing it back there. And, you know, I don't know if that throws a wrench or a wrinkle into the thing here because I don't know if they really started to go for it, if all of a sudden the federal government and others say, well, wait a second, we don't have money for two multi-sport games again. And, you know, the Olympics would trump the Commonwealth Games. Sure. So there's all kinds of things going on here. But the biggest one right now is trying to... I think build a sense in this city, in this community, with the people and with council, that this is something we would want. And I, and I as I say, I think there's some work to be done there. Uh, again, I go back to uh, that's a great uh, a great premise. But if we don't stand a chance with the organizers, what difference does it make what the city says or what council says? So again, do we still not know who the major competition is in the bid for 2030? Who are we up not against? For sure. Yeah, not for sure, not yet. It's it's any possi- any any rumors, possibilities, anything. Uh, I am tr- now. You're catching me cold here because I'm trying. I you said off the beginning that this has been confusing. I, I'm I'm going to get it wrong because now I'm confused between who was in for 2026 as rumors and 2030. Right. I mean, Australia is always in the mix. I, I think heard Sri that. Lanka was in the mix at one point. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head who the other people are but uh, you would think that hamilton would be the 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 favorite based on the 100th anniversary based that's on my point i mean the significance of the 100th anniversary is massive so is there any interest within this organization to say yeah this would be a great full circle for us yes i think there would be interest in there but keep one other thing in mind with these big organizations the ioc the commonwealth games they love it when there's competition Sure. Because when two different cities are competing, they're going to yeah. try and one-up each other and make it a better and better and bigger game. They, they don't want to turn around and tell everybody, don't bother bidding against Hamilton. Hamilton's going to get it. Because then the Hamilton people can say, okay, we're going to tamp down what yeah. we're doing here. They, they, all these places want to have the competition. So they're not going to say you will win unless there's no other option. But you would think that Hamilton would be the favorite going in because of that centennial. I don't think a lot of people have the time for the politics of the IOC or the Commonwealth Committee, especially after a COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And I remember this. I remember I was living in Calgary when the Olympics were there. And, man, there, there's so much politics. And, and I, you know, back then in the 80s, 
the IOC was quite snobby about all of this and who they wanted. Oh, yeah. and, and, and people were pouring billions of dollars into this stuff. And then, you know, as time goes by, countries are realizing, you know, there's nothing in this for us anymore. So uh, is the IOC or the Commonwealth Committee in a position to be doing this? I mean, you talked about it depends well, if there's anybody there. But again, how many people are there post-pandemic? Well, look, let's go to the IOC for just a minute. Now, it's a much bigger thing, and it's something more people are familiar with. But look at the cities in recent years that have been bidding for the Olympics. You had Sochi a number of years ago that went and spent $50 billion to basically build a city in which to host the Olympics. And then you got Beijing coming in. And then you've got you know, these, these massive countries that are either authoritarian or not quite as democratic. They can spend more money as they wish to. Um, you don't see nearly as many democracies because a lot of them now have looked at it and said, oh, wait a second, do we, are we really, do our taxpayers really want this yeah. kind of money? Rio spent a, Rio blew their brains out. They've got all kinds of problems in Brazil. And they were building stadiums in the middle of the jungle, basically, that are hardly being used. And so, you know, it, the thing, it got to the point where, and this is the Olympics, it's not the same with Commonwealth, it got so big that a lot of places said, well, we can't make it bigger. We can't do yeah. that. And so why are we getting in? The Commonwealth Games is obviously much smaller. It's on a much, much smaller scale. And what's being pushed... Have we oh, lost, Scott? Hamilton oh, he's back. Uh, the Hamilton Games, we gotta, I know you got to run, but the Hamilton Games are not being pushed right now around here as, a, uh, as an athletic event. They're being pushed as an infrastructure program. And that, hmm. you know, they may win some, some support with that, with people saying we need that housing, we need that new pool, we need this or that. I don't think they can win this argument if they say, hey, just come out and watch Bermuda play Papua New Guinea in field hockey. <laughs> so where do you think this is going? What's the next step here? Well, they're going to... So 2026 has now been abandoned, which buys them a little more runway to rethink and replan. But I think that it will be quietly in the background, not very long before they are talking to the higher levels of government looking for assurances of support. But once again, we, wrinkles. We keep talking about wrinkles. What's coming up at the very least in a couple of years from now? Well, you're going to have a federal election. You're going to have a provincial election. You're going to have a municipal election. So even if you get assurances today from the governments, yeah. all three governments could be different people in power who may change their mind or say something else down the road. So there's so many moving parts. I, I think that the, the thing right now is to try and build a case starting locally and you have to have that other stuff from provincial and federal to, to promise that you're going to get some kind of money. But build the case locally that you, if you're a person in Hamilton or in this area, here's why the Commonwealth Games are something you should really want so that when your city councillor is sitting around the table, they're not getting bombarded with people saying, no, no, I don't want this. You want people yeah. being supportive. And if they can do that, well, then you start to have a chance to make it happen. If not, I, I don't like their chances. I think it'll be an easier sell around the 100th anniversary. I really do. And I think Hamiltonians will jump on board simply, be since, simply because since the time I came to the city, uh, I don't know how many years ago, that's all they've talked about is great events from the past. So why would they want, not yeah. want to do that moving forward? I, I, I think it's a no-brainer to do a 100th anniversary. Yeah, and you're right. And there's also, you know, there's always the bread, not circuses groups and stuff like that. 
And so if you can win them over by saying, look, you don't have to like the sports. You don't have to show up for any sport, but we're going to end up with 3,000 housing units for low-income people in the city as a result of this. You know, then maybe you start to win some of the critics or some of the dissenters on your side and at least grudgingly say, you know what, okay, I'm not going to go to any of the sports. It's stupid, but I like the idea of what they're going to do, and so, okay, we'll do that. Remember the whole bread, not circuses thing and Jack Layton's role and all of that. And I remember I had just come back from the Calgary Olympics, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, uh, you know, everybody's fighting for this and you're kicking this, this idea to the curb and, you know, bread, not circuses. And yet when it's all done and we lost the games, there was no more bread anyway. So, so we just didn't have the circus. So I'm not sure how that helped any. There's a, there's a balance that always gets lost because the people who are the bread, not circuses, say all the money is being wasted. And the people who want the sports part of it and love the idea of the Olympics say, we don't care what amount of money is spent on this. And then somewhere in the middle, yeah. there are opportunities. And, and if you have the two extremes, somehow it's like politics now. The middle gets mm-hmm. completely lost because everyone's on the fringes fighting for <laughs> their side. I agree. And when you're all done, you go, what did we achieve? There you go. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist with the Hamilton Spectator. Make sure you're listening to Scott tonight. As always, Mr. Radley, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Anytime, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.